All right. Apparently, no intro is playing. Awesome. Uh, don't know how I messed that one up, guys. My bad. Uh, sorry about that. I was just telling everyone, like, hey, there's going to be a new intro song, and I don't know why there isn't. But anyway, everyone, good morning. Welcome. This is the Top 10 by Geek Vibe Nation. I'm sure that we'll get that all figured out so that we can at least play next week. I say this maybe at least once in the episode that there has to be some sort of voodoo that's going on on the top 10 that something always seems to happen. But anyway, I'm Tia, your host. And again, this is the top 10 by Geek Vibes Nation. We're doing an amazing episode today because winter is coming. Or if you live in New York, winter is already here and it's plushy outside. So we are doing the top 10 Game of Thrones moments. Uh, before I continue rambling anymore, I have to introduce my amazing co-hosts who are here with me today because they are just as much of fans of this HBO show as I am. Kevin, welcome back. Uh, how are you and how excited are you to be talking Game of Thrones? Uh, pretty amped. Pretty amped. I'm doing good. You know, it's this time change really isn't 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 being my friend right now. But the only thing that could uh, wake me up and get me going would be Game of Thrones. So we're good to go. I need Game of Thrones is better than coffee. So we're good. <laughs> <laughs> I I would have to agree, even though I am a pretty big fan of coffee, but. Game of Thrones, definitely. We got the new season coming up, so this is the perfect time to really be diving in. And what's really exciting about this episode is that we have a top 10 newcomer, a really fantastic contributor to Geek Vibes Nation. Marty, welcome. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm all flattered now. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been looking forward to this since we first talked about it, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty geek to be talking Game of Thrones. Absolutely. It's one honestly, I have put off watching Game of Thrones for years. Uh everyone kept telling me, Hey, you should watch this show. You would really be into it and I kinda of put it off a lot because I'm be, a few years ago I was one of those type of people that I hated watching a show where it's a lot of like the main characters are killed off that bothered me. But after watching, like, Walking Dead and Game of Thrones, I'm totally, like, not attached to characters at all. I, they could be my favorite, and then the next episode, they're killed off. I'm like, okay, cool, let's keep going. Uh, so about two years ago is when I binge-watched the entire uh, series in, like, maybe a month, a month and a half. So I'm ready for this, guys. And I think that we should just kind of dive in and stop talking because we have plenty to talk about when it comes to – Game of Thrones, Kevin, because it's been a while since we've had you on the show, I'm going to start with you to give me your number 10 moment. Oh, I feel so honored. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, the number 10 moment for me in Game of Thrones history, so we're talking from the very beginning to, um, you know, as recent as we can get, is I'm going to go with the most recent thing that we've gotten from Game of Thrones, and that's going to be that season 8 trailer. Um Lord Jesus, talk about a trailer. Literally, if you put, for my, for me, if you put that one, like, side by side with, like, the Avengers Endgame trailer, I'm taking the Game of Thrones trailer, like, every time, just because it's, 
it's so monumental. I've been watching so many, like, breakdown videos, uh, breaking down the trailer because, you know, how HBO releases the trailer and everything's so dark and you can barely see who Arya's running away from or what Arya's running away from. Um, and you can barely see if there's anybody sitting on the Iron Throne or if there's anybody else in the throne room. But, yeah, that trailer, so great. And it's funny because I work at a call center now, and I knew that my first day of taking official calls was Tuesday. And, you know, throughout the past three weeks, I've been getting, going to, you know, because we don't have, like, official times that we can go to the bathroom or, like, official break minutes, per se, when you're in training. Um, and so every hour on the hour, I was coming out, going to check my phone. Okay, is there is there a trailer? Is there a trailer? Because, you know, sooner or later, I was like, there has to be a trailer coming eventually. And Tuesday was the first day that I, I only allowed two 15-minute breaks and a 30-minute lunch. And I'm walking into work on Tuesday, and I'm like, you know what? I bet today is the day that they release that trailer because today today would be the day that I wouldn't be able to see it as soon as it comes out. My first 15-minute break, I go, look at my phone, and all I see is the trailer has arrived. And I stopped my whole 15-minute break watching that trailer over and over and over. I was like, of course, this would happen on, my, on the first day. <laughs> but, yeah, the trailer... So great, so great. I I love it. The anticipation for season eight is like through the roof now. <laughs> I have to tell you, Kevin, there has been so many times where a trailer is released for a show or a movie that I really like, and I immediately run to the ladies' room just to watch it because I'm like, I can't wait. And I just want, first of all, let me tell you, I know that before we started this show, uh, you guys were asking if we were going to talk about the trailer, and I think it's so hilarious that you put the trailer as the number 10 because there are so many little tidbits that you can look into this trailer and wonder what the hell is going to go on for the next season. I think we were talking about the fact that, you know, Arya, who's normally so, you know, calm, cool, collected, is actually scared in this trailer running and it's like what's got her scared what's got her freaked out because this is Arya Stark I mean she doesn't get freaked out over anything so I think that's really interesting and just seeing everyone there I think to me the thing that stands out while everyone is so kind of either serious or uh, freaked out or something you got Cersei who's just kind of sitting there chilling, drinking her wine, and she just looks like she has something up her sleeve, which it's thirsty, so knowing that, she probably does. There's just so much that we can anticipate with this trailer, and from what I've heard, because there's only, what, six episodes, right, that are going to be in season eight? Yeah, six. Six episodes, and they're projected to be over an hour long, so... Right, and I was going to say that they're all going to be like mini movies. So even though there's only going to be six episodes, we're going to see a lot of shit go down. So I love that you picked uh, for the number 10 slot to be the trailer for season eight. Marty, I'm going to shoot this over to you and ask you, you know, what are your, you know, first of all, what are your thoughts on that trailer and what are you expecting to see in season eight of Game of Thrones? Uh. 
I expect to see a whole lot of people dead. Uh, I thought the trailer was uh, fantastic. Uh, I can have a question for you guys. There's one scene in the trailer where you see Cersei sitting on the throne. You see, uh, forget his name, uh, her uh, mad scientist on the right. Uh, and there's two people standing, students standing in front of her, and I can't tell who they are. There's one person that's facing so, towards this camera and the other one facing away. Yeah, my theory on that is there's – I have a couple of different theories, and I'll run them for you. Now, I don't want to take credit for any of these. Like, I've seen these on you because, like I, like I said, you know, um, I eat, sleep, breathe Game of Thrones. And <laughs> as soon as that trailer came out, like, I came home and watched, like, 17 million trailer breakdowns. That's all I've been watching. Um so a couple of the ones that I've seen is that the guy in the gold is Harry Strickland, who's leader of the Golden Company. That um, if you remember in season seven, the finale, Cersei tells Jamie that she sent Euron to go get to go get the Golden Company, um, which is like these trained assassins, um, mercenaries per se, uh, like twenty thousand of them. So. I think that that's Harry Strickland. The guy in the gold is the Harry Strickland. Now, the guy in the black, um, my bet is that's probably Euron Greyjoy. And they're mm-hmm. coming back, um, you know, because you see that one cut of Cersei on the island, at the King's Landing Island, and I'm assuming that's when uh, the Golden Company with Euron uh, is docking their ships, or she sees them for the first time. And... So she goes up to the throne, whatever, they come in there, and Euron's like, yeah, I brought you this army, they're all outside, this, that, and the other. Now, this is where it can get a little tricky, though, is because Euron typically, I think with with Euron Greyjoy, like, his character doesn't really want to marry Cersei. Cersei, he wants to marry Cersei for that power and getting the throne. And one of the theories that I've seen is that when Euron goes to go get that golden company, the Golden Company does not break their their contract period, and Euron has Euron is the one who signs that contract. So technically, the Golden Company would be serving Euron, and Euron is coming to come sack King's Landing and tell Cersei, "I want the throne. You need to bounce." Now, I think that would be like a crazy twist because, like when it, when everybody thinks of who's going to kill Cersei, it's like, oh, Jaime, Tyrion, Arya. John, Daenerys, nobody thinks, oh, well, maybe Euron comes and says, I got 20,000 people with me that they think that I'm in charge, so I want the throne. You know, I, now, I don't know if that's what's going to happen, but that's who I think up in front of her right there is Harry Strickland and Euron Greyjoy. Well, I think that's really interesting because Euron definitely is self-serving, right? He's only thinking about himself. I did think it was like a crazy twist at the end of season seven where you find out that that whole thing was kind of Euron walked away because you're thinking, isn't this guy supposed to be like, quote, unquote, worse than Ramsey? And he kind of just bounced and it's like, no, it's because they're planning some shit. But Euron only thinks of himself, we see that he is not a loyal person per se like that. And I think definitely, it's interesting because we, personally, 
I wouldn't mind if he was the one who killed Cersei, but at the same time, it wouldn't be nearly as satisfying as if someone else killed Cersei. But it would be a good twist if he were the one to take Cersei down because it's like, hey, here's finally you have someone who you can't control Cersei, who you're not in charge with, you know, not in charge of. Yeah, like she spun this giant web and now she's the one caught in the middle of it and it backfired on her. Yeah, that's that's personally my stance on it. I've found that with Game of Thrones, never assume anything because (laughs) they're just going to pull the rug out from under you. Marty, really quick uh, question, because you were doing this, like, really great uh, series kind of on Geek Vibes Nation of, like, who will die, you know, who will live, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Do you think at all that Cersei has a chance? And I kind of ran this by, I think, you guys one time or someone, and everyone was like, what? No, Tia. But do you think that Cersei has a chance of being, like, the last one standing? I think she does, just mainly because she's so manipulative. And to be honest with you, most of the time, a couple steps in front of everybody else, that it's certainly possible. But uh, I just, you know, but as I think I have mentioned before, uh, generally speaking, when you deserve what you get coming, you eventually get it. And I can't see how she doesn't eventually, uh, for everything she's done, uh, get her, you know, get what's coming to her. I mean, they all seem to eventually. It may take a while, but they're running out of time. So if they're going to do it, this, they got to do it this season. Yeah, and that's true. My only thing is with, again, with Game of Thrones, just kind of throwing in these twists that it, honestly, we all are sitting there and either Daenerys sitting on the Iron Throne because obviously this whole series has been her journey leading up to that or Jon Snow I know is like a fan favorite to sit on the Iron Throne but like just the mental manipulation of the people behind Game of Thrones to make it where like ha it was Cersei this you know she's going to be the one who does it so I I'm not going to make any assumptions I'm just going to watch it and see what happens but I think that would be like a huge like twist in the Game of Thrones uh, season eight. But that's just my theory. Uh, Moving right along, I'm going to shoot it over to you, Marty, to give us your number nine pick. Marty? Sorry about that. Uh, (laughs) Did you put us on mute? (laughs) I told you you this could happen. Uh, Okay, uh, I'm going to... I'm going to flip the script and go all the way up to season one. And we're going to do uh, episode nine, Baylor, and the beheading of Ned Stark. And the reason I chose this one is uh, because it basically kind of sets the the tone for the whole series about, number one, even if you're the headlining actor, which uh, Sean Bean was, uh, that doesn't mean that they won't kill you off. and uh, it also puts at the standard for, you know, where most series, when they have their, you know, their kind of headlining event, usually they'll do it on their season final. Game of Thrones does a lot of theirs on the ninth episode of the one right before the season final, which is what they did here. Uh, it also basically let you know that in uh, King's Landing, honor is the last thing you want to have if you think you're going to survive, because that's what basically killed Ned more than anything else. 
because he felt the need to let Stannis know that uh, Cersei's children were not Robert's and they didn't have uh, a right to the throne. Had he just kept his mouth shut, he might have survived. Yeah, I... As soon as you said that, I was like, oh, poor Ned. Because as someone who, you know, hadn't always watched Game of Thrones, and at that time I didn't read the books, I actually went back uh, after watching the series and read the books, And which if either of you guys haven't, you really should, just because they're really well-written books, and you can kind of really see how many of the scenes are pretty much there verbatim from the books. Obviously, some things are different. That's just how it is always when there's a live-action adaptation of a novel, but really, really solid uh, reading. But uh, I felt so bad. That scene was awful. Not awful and, like, you know, it was just, like, awful for the, like, the storyline because you're sitting there and you're like, this is, you know, he's the father of so many and he's just trying to do the good thing. And you think, as you said, Marty, he's a headlining actor you know they can't just kill him off and that scene is heartbreaking because you know Arya that's her dad she loves him and she's just running through the crowd you know and I forget who it was but you know when the guy just kind of holds her and he's like you know don't look and it's like wow at that point her father is being beheaded it was just awful really I felt so terrible and reliving it it's kind of like that is really what set everything in motion was Ned Stark uh, being killed being executed and that just catapult just so bad because you know didn't at some point you know Cersei try and tell Sansa like you know not so much like get over it but you know he was a traitor and just like all the manipulation that went into that it was just so bad, and I felt so bad for Ned Stark and the Stark family, but this is kind of what was needed to get the storyline rolling and set up the events that we obviously have seen since day one. Uh, Kevin, give us your thoughts on poor Ned Stark being executed. Uh, yeah, so it was Yorin who's the one who grabs Arya, just throwing it out to give my man some credit. Um, from the night watch, and then he ends up, you know, he ends up taking her through, going towards the north and whatnot. And I think one of the things that was mentioned that or that hasn't been mentioned is how much this changed Arya. You know, Arya is a main character on this show, and this event like totally flipped her script. You know, at first, you know, you're seeing that she's gonna be kind of like a tomboy. And, wants to be, you know, more into wielding swords and shooting arrows as opposed to sewing dresses and going to, you know, get-togethers like Sansa is. But then this moment, you know, seeing her dad's head chopped off is like, okay, well now, you know, it's basically like, F all you guys. I'm going to do what I need to do to kill everyone who was involved in this. And then you start to see her with the list in season two. And it's just like this event shaped Arya more than any other event in the show. Um, but like you guys said, I mean, this is such a great, great scene, great episode because it made Game of Thrones. And it's like this along with another event 
that I'm sure is going to be talked about later on in this episode. Um, you know, it'll let everybody know that, yeah, you might think that said character is safe, but they're not. <laughs> Nobody's safe on this show, and we can go off wherever we want to, and that's because we have the power to do that, and you're still going to tune in because you're a sheep and you love this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're all relatively sheep for Game of Thrones, no matter what they end up doing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I will bomb I'm... Kevin, what are you going to do when Game of Thrones ends? I'm actually kind of concerned about what may happen after this. You should be. You very much should be. So it's not so much, I mean, it is when Game of Thrones ends. But I've been quoted numerous times telling people that that weekend of April 26th, you guys are going to have to check on me and, like, tune in, like, message me. Make sure I'm all good because that is a predicted Battle of Winterfell on April 26th, and I don't know if this, I don't know if you've heard, but this movie uh, called Avengers Endgame comes out on April 24th, and so HBO really isn't doing me any favors because I'm gonna have to watch potentially freaking Iron Man die on a Friday, and then freaking uh, Tormund and Grey Worm and possibly John and Drogon and everybody die on a, oh I'm gonna have to watch that on a Friday and watch everybody die on a Sunday. And I'm not looking forward to that. Like, so that's if there's any date that I might like be, you know, beside myself in the emotional wreck, it's going to be that one. But then, of course, that season finale. I mean, I've told everybody before, you know, I'm going to have to have my. I, I even put it on Facebook. I said uh, when I quoted the trailer, I said my body isn't ready, my heart isn't ready, and the box of Kleenex that I have by my bed is not ready either. <laughs> because I think every episode is going to be like just an emotional wreck at the end. Uh, I mean, it's crazy though. I've never been so attached to a show the way that I am with Thrones. It's like, it got me a hook, line, and sinker. I mean, I started last season. I mean, I watched season seven, the premiere, and I was just like, I had no idea who any of these people are. I was like, why is this dude cleaning crap and vomit? Uh, from the Citadel, what is he doing? Um, why is this blonde-haired lady going to the beach and everybody's so quiet and so monumental? What's going on? And between Season 7, Episode 1, and Season 7, Episode 2, I binge-watched Seasons 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and was like, Season 7, Episode 2, I was ready. I'm like, all right, we're caught up. We're good. Now let's go. I mean, and it's crazy, because that's when I was working 2 to 6, and so my routine was get up at 8 o'clock, watch Game of Thrones from 8 to, like, 1.30, go to work from 2 to 6, come back, watch Game of Thrones from, like, 6.30 to, like, 11, and repeat Monday through Friday. <laughs> I was binge-watching Game of Thrones and getting really close to, like, the end. I think I was on season 7 when The Defenders came out on Netflix. And I really wanted to watch The Defenders and binge that just because I knew that, like, everyone around me was going to talk about it and I didn't want to, like, you know, be left out, I guess. Uh, So I remember being a little angry that The Defenders came out because I'm like, oh, I have to take a break in between my games. And I remember I watched The Defenders and, like, literally as soon as the final episode ended, I immediately went back to Game of Thrones. And it's funny because I kind of didn't like the first episode. It was a little slow to me. And I've heard a lot of people say that. Um, I was just listening 
to a show by Mike, who's a new contributor to Geek uh, Five Nation. He has his own podcast. Uh, I think it's called Green Lantern. Or I, I don't know. I don't want to, like, misquote his uh, podcast. But they were talking about you got to give Game of Thrones, like, an episode or two, which I did, and I wasn't into it. But as soon as, like, I think, like, the third episode was done, I was immediately hooked. Um, and I kind of want to piggyback on uh, Marty's pick of another scene that stands out to me after that was when Joffrey and Sansa were walking, and they walked across, like, that little, like, bridge, and she immediately stops and sees that her father's head is up on one of those, like, you know, spikes or whatever. And, oh, that, just that, first of all, like, F. Joffrey, such an awful human being, because you know that he, you know that he knew where they were going and what they were going to see. And, and it was just wanting to break Sansa down and make her really just turn her back on her family, because she essentially, to Joffrey, you know, should live to serve him and should look at the face of her deceased father. And, oh, just that whole thing. And that's what it reminds me of every time I think about Ned being beheaded is just that other scene of Joffrey just making Sansa look at Ned Stark's head on the spike. It's so terrible. For nine, having Ned beheaded, I'm going to take the number eight slot. And I just kind of want to put it out there because the Hound, honestly, guys, is one of my favorite characters. I don't know what it is. I just love him. And I was so upset when we thought that maybe he was dead. And so when they brought him back, it was, like, probably the happiest, like, episode for me. But my number eight spot is going to be, and speaking about Joffrey, my number eight spot is going to be the Hound telling Joffrey to fuck off. Um, just to let you know, Marty, we do curse here every once in a while on uh, on our podcast, so it's okay. It's okay. Oh shit! Especially in okay, this moment. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, so I definitely want to do the Hound telling Joffrey to fuck off because if you think about it, the Hound was a loyal uh, servant of the you know the uh, House Baratheon, and that was his life. Uh, his house kind of exists to serve House Baratheon. He's been part of the whole Kingsguard, you know, bodyguard type thing for a while. He's always stepped in and done whatever the Baratheons have wanted him to do, even when uh, Robert was, you know, Robert died and Joffrey took over as king, even though obviously the Hound hated Joffrey because how could you not hate Joffrey? He still was serving him. But when they have that battle, and it's just a freaking, you know, shitstorm. I mean, people are dying. People are being set on fire, which you know obviously freaks the hell out of the hound. And that's the thing. That's like his quote-unquote kryptonite because his brother, the mountain, burned him when he was a child. So he obviously was freaked out because everyone literally is on fucking fire in front of him. And Joffrey, who's just sitting there in the background, just not even taking control. I mean, it was Tyrion mostly who even ran the show, and Joffrey's not even getting in battle. He's just a sniveling idiot, honestly. And he's telling Hound, you know, who's taking a water, I think, pretty much at that point, like, you know, go back in there. What are you doing, dog? He always loves calling him dog, you know. 
and and him and Hal just standing there for a second. You can tell he was just standing there, almost like assessing his options. And he just like not gave up, but just like said what all of us like really just desperately have always wanted to say to Joffrey, and just told him like, "Fuck off, fuck you, fuck the king, fuck King Joffrey," you know, all that stuff. I I I love that scene. I think. I kind of have rewatched it a thousand times just because it makes me so happy to see the hound telling Joffrey off just simply because it, you have this big, massive man. I mean, he's not the mountain, but he's the hound. And I think the actor is at least like six foot five or six foot six or something. Like, what are you going to do, Joffrey? You're going to go up against the hound? He's going to crush you with one hand. So I, I just love that scene. I have to put it as my number eight. Marty, I'm coming to you, so take us off mute. Uh, <laughs> tell us about <laughs> tell us about what you think about my number eight pick. Uh, actually, I love the pick because I'm, like you, I am a giant hound fan. Number uh, one, I think uh, even when he's not meaning to be funny, I find him funny uh, because he basically tells you what he thinks. He don't hold nothing back. And right, you can't tell me that everyone in that entire King's Landing didn't want to tell Jeffrey to uh, fuck himself uh, <laughs> almost every time they put their eyes on him. Uh, and it actually uh, is getting back to Joffrey. There's actually well, that was one of the things that uh, uh, I notated. Maybe we'll get back to. Uh, but uh, yeah, I love that because, like I said, I'm a giant Hound fan, and just about any, anything he does, I, I find very entertaining. Yeah, he's just just an amazing character, and you kind of, like, to me, don't necessarily know how to feel about him at first, just because, you know, as I said, he was so loyal to Robert Baratheon. I mean, he kills that one kid who was friends with Arya, and he seems to be a little, like, gleeful about it. If you read the books, he's definitely a little bit more sadistic, and I think they kind of have put little touches of that in the series as it goes. But as you said, Marty, he probably doesn't mean to be so funny, but just the delivery of his lines are fantastic. And I just love seeing it. It was so satisfying for him to just tell Joffrey to go F himself. And then he just left battle and that was it. That was what we saw of him. And then obviously he goes on this grand adventure with Arya, which is a, another fantastic moment on its own. But Kevin, tell us about what you think about the hound telling Joffrey to go fuck off. By the way, interjecting really quick, I don't think that there's anyone out there that actually likes Joffrey. So, but you never know. There could have been a fifth. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm glad you said this moment because I'm gonna go like you kind of like you piggybacked on the last moment. I'm gonna go ahead and piggyback on this moment and talk about. Uh, you talked about, like, the moment, but let's not forget the whole battle. The Battle of the Blackwater, uh, such a great battle. Um, so if we do get, if, if it is mentioned as a moment, that's great. Uh, but, yeah, I loved it from the moment, you know, that my man Braun shoots that arrow, and, you know, it's just, boom, wildfire exploding everywhere. Poor Davos had no idea it was coming. Um, and then Stannis comes on, the, you know, you see Stannis himself leading the charge onto the beach. 
And I was like, okay, I can get behind that, Stannis. You go, man. You do you, Stanley boy. You do you. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he's he's dominating, doing his thing. And, you know, like you said, you see the hound? Uh, the, there's a great cut in that scene or in that whole battle where it's like slow motion. You can, like, see it from the hound's eyes. And that's when he's like, nah, man, I ain't doing this shit. Yeah, I ain't doing this anymore. I'm out of here. Y'all got fire over here. I mean, he almost dies at one point. And Braun saves him because he's so just, like, traumatized by seeing everybody on fire. And Braun comes out of nowhere and, like, saves him, which they had that great interaction before the battle. And it was like they were about to throw hands, and now Braun just saved him. It shows that Braun's just an amazing character, and we should all love and cheer for Braun to be on the Iron Throne at the end of it because Braun would be the most deserving guy to be on the Iron Throne. Let's just throw that out there. Um, Ron doesn't want to be on the Iron Throne. He wants to be on like a beach with like a beautiful life. That's what he wanted. Hey, he wants his castle, and that would be considered the Iron Throne. And he wants a beautiful wife, and we can, you know, we can give him like Sansa. She's pretty, or Arya. You know, that would work out. And he'd have the best castle in all of King's Landing, on a beach, and he would sit on the throne, and it'd be perfect. Sir Bronn of the Blackwater, um, and then we could call him Sir Bronn of King's Landing. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I love that scene, you know, when the hound has his wine and it's it's hilarious. The guy comes up to him with water and he's like, No, fuck the water, give me wine and I'm like okay. That's right, that's right. Yes, yes. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Okay, I guess we're drinking wine in the middle of battle now, whatever. Um If you're you know, about to Tyrion's die. Like, yeah, right, and Tyrion's like, You're King's guard, well fuck the city, fuck the King's guard, fuck the king and I'm like, Oh, Okay, tell me how you really feel, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I think that's great. It's awesome. And, and then, you know, after that, he goes into that room, and Sansa comes in there, and, he you know, Sansa sees him, and she about shits her pants because, you know, he's the guy that made her look at Ned's head on the stake the season ago, and she's terrified of the hound, and he essentially tells her, you know, hey, get out of King's Landing while you can because shit's about to go down. <laughs> And doesn't he, I'm sorry, doesn't he offer to, like, bring her with him at that yeah, point? Yeah, he does. Yep, and she says, you know, she. you can think that she, you, you get the vibe that she really considers it, but she ends up saying no, uh, which I would assume that she probably regrets later on in life. <laughs> yeah, I would assume so, too. If, uh, I don't care how afraid you were of the hounds, if it meant getting away from Joffrey at that point, I would have gladly went with the hounds. Yeah, right. Uh, I'm, oh, <laughs> I'm glad that you mentioned the whole Stannis thing because it even more so highlights the fact that Joffrey was a sniveling coward because there Stannis is leading the charge where Joffrey is just kind of like sitting back and not doing anything, you know? So I think that just kind of, like, highlights the fact that Joffrey was just awful. That's the yeah, moral I mean, of the story. The the battle, like, there's that one scene towards the end of the battle that the battle's clearly done. Like, Stannis is lost, his guys are done, and his guys are, like, having to pick him up and carry him back because he wants to keep fighting. And he's like, no, let me fight, let me fight. And they're like, no, you're going to die if you stay here. <laughs> I think that that was kind of, like, the thing back then is that they just, like, didn't mind dying in battle. That was, like, an honor or something like that. So, um, but, yeah, uh, great scene. I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. <laughs> uh, and 
Kevin, I'm going to shoot over back to you to give us the number seven spot. All right. Uh, Number seven. And, you know, I think there's one person that we haven't talked about who is, you know, she's my queen. Um, I will gladly bend the knee for Queen Daenerys, and we haven't talked to her, talked about her yet. So I'm going to go my number seven is going to be when we find out that she really is this, I want to say like mystical, mythical, mystical, magical human being, uh, if you even want to call her a human being, uh, the season one finale, and she goes and lays in the fire with Cal Drogo as she's burning him, and she and she lays in the fire with the dragon eggs. And, I, and in my head, I was like, what the hell is she doing? She's going to die. <laughs> and then, you know, you see the, the witch, uh, you know, screaming and wailing, and Daenerys is just laying there in the fire like it's nothing. What is going on? And then... It, like fast forwards to the next morning, everybody's asleep. Sir Jorah wakes up, and what he sees is Daenerys just kneeling there, and she stands up, and you've got Drogon, Viserion, and Rhaegal just all around her. And I was like, oh, man, she's got dragons now. It's about to go down. Like, I was so happy, um, you know, and, and, you know, she is the butt of the dragon and the mother of dragons, and that's when she becomes the mother of dragons. And, oh. Oh, Daenerys. Gotta love her. Gotta love her. I hope this is not the last one. <laughs> That's a great scene, and it it's perfect because uh, I was just watching the scene where, you know, her brother is sitting there, you know, going that he is the son of the dragon, da-da-da-da, and then Drogo just pours the freaking hot gold on him as he's dying and Daenerys is like, you know, uh, fire cannot touch a dragon or something like that. And I was like, so it's kind of like setting up for the fact that like he wasn't who he thought he was. And that scene where, and that witch, you know, she's sitting there, she's like, you know, the fire will not touch me. It won't hurt me. I will not scream. I will not cry. And she's just wailing because she is dying and it is horrible. And Daenerys is just chilling with that and then the dragons are hatched and it was so perfect and it really if you had no doubt that Daenerys was going to be something amazing in this series that was the scene that was letting you know like she she's badass she's here and oh god that was so amazing I don't want to take away because I just think that that was so great and I'm going to shoot over to Marty to let us know like what do you think about that scene uh, um, that was a, a great scene, and truth be, I was like, uh, I thought for sure, right, that when she put herself in there, and of course, uh, God, I'm horrible with names, uh, she, we, we, uh, the, uh, the man who loves her, but, uh, with, with the grayscale. Jorah? Jorah? Uh, Jorah, yeah, Jorah Uh, he did, of course, he didn't, didn't want to go in there, because he didn't want to see her die, so he had no idea what was going to happen. Uh, so when she, uh, he was as surprised as anybody when she came out of the fire. Though I'm curious, I mean, you know, her brother, they tell, shared the same gene pool. How come she can uh, withstand fire and he couldn't? I don't know. Maybe she was just worthy of it because he was a sniveling little bitch. <laughs> ah, the sniveling little bitch card. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
but uh, yes, yeah, so you knew from that point on, and, and then if you needed any more reinforcement uh, in the episode where she takes down the uh, Dothraki uh, temple with fire and comes out of that alive, you pretty much knew that uh, she, uh, fire will not touch her. That was also a really fantastic scene. That was what I was thinking about when Kevin first started mentioning it. I was like, oh, remember that one where she just kind of like kicks over all of the freaking fire cauldrons with the Dothrakians? She's just oh, badass. Yeah. Don't don't we mess with her when it, it comes to fire. <laughs> we got to build to it. We got to start small, you know, when, the, when she first starts to be immune to the fire, and then we'll work our way up. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing is that as we're talking I'm realizing that there are so many amazing scenes that probably won't make it on this list and it's like we may have to come back and do like a part two or something like that I'm down I'm down <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think that uh, the first scene where we see Daenerys on fire is just a fantastic scene that really just set up for you to know that don't She's not the small little, you know, like, uh, abused woman anymore. She's not taking shit. She's leading her own life, and she has eyes now on the on the goal that's ahead of her. So that is just great. I, there's so many great season one moments, but fantastic job. Um, Marty, give us your number six pick. Okay, number six, we're going to go with... Uh... Season four, episode eight, the mountain versus the viper, and the battle between the mountain versus the viper because uh, mm-hmm. it was extremely ah. well choreographed. It was, uh, and if you ever watched uh, The Incredibles, this is your lesson in why you shouldn't monologue when you have a guy down. Uh, he uh, instead of you get the spear in him, he basically won the fight. All he had to do was keep his distance, and instead he decides to started talking about how he wants a confession and then gets close enough to pull the spear out. And, of course, that's when uh, the mountain ended up turning his head into a crushed grape. Uh, and, of course, that was our first uh, view of mountain number three, which, uh, to me, he is the mountain. Uh, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce that man's name. Uh, Half-whore Julius Bjornsson. Uh, but uh, that whole thing was was also – and it was actually we talking about swearing. That was the first scene I saw that made me go, oh, shit. Uh, when uh, his head got crushed. So uh, and that's kind of my uh, guideline for uh, scenes. If it makes me go, oh, shit, that was a good scene. I still wait, can't wait, watch wait, that wait. scene. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Really? Marty, you said <laughs> that that was the first scene in Game of Thrones that made you go, oh, shit? Uh, well, yes, here's, here's the problem. Uh, like... Uh, she, uh, uh, I didn't start watching Game of Thrones until after, until, until after one of the other things we're probably going to talk about, uh, and I started watching okay. the reaction okay. scene to it on YouTube, and I was thinking, okay. man, what the heck's going on that makes these people uh, react like that? So then I had, just like you, I had to binge watch and catch up. So uh, okay, because I was like, I'm pretty sure there's a scene in season three that made everybody go, oh shit. Yeah, it said, uh, but I hadn't seen that at that point. Because <laughs> I was, I was like, wait, so that didn't affect you, but that did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a great pick, Marty. I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, it was on my list. The the mount, the mountain and the viper. Poor Oberyn, you know, such a great character. Loved him. I hate it for him. Hate it for the guy. Uh, 
gone too soon in my opinion. He could have been he he would have been great on the Iron Throne. Oberyn Martell. Mm. But uh yeah. That sucks. When I mean once he's talking that trash and then the leg sweep and pushing his eyes in and I was like, Oh my god, is it, it, it like are they gonna show this and boom, they sure they sure did. Showed his head just exploding and I was like, Oh my I was like you Marty, I was like, Oh shit, that's nasty <laughs> I still can't watch that scene just because of how like graphic it is. And as you said, like he, he got the mountain down. He could have won. And then, you know, this is just like an old thing that sometimes people's mouths get them in trouble. And that's certainly what happened to him. He just kept talking and that's what happened. I love, by the way, guys, the uh, Super Bowl commercial for Bud Light. That was like that exact scene. I don't know if you guys saw that during the Super Bowl. They had that Game of Thrones uh, Bud Light commercial where they were like imitating the same fight and he was like crushing the dude's head. I was like, oh, thanks. Now we're all reliving that terrible scene when the Viper uh, got killed. And I I felt. Huh? I'm sorry. I said Pedro Pascal told his children not to watch that scene. I wouldn't want if if I were Pedro, I would tell my kids too to look away because it's like, oh no, daddy, <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> yeah, I that was just terrible. And then uh, his wife, I'm terrible with names right now, guys. But his wife, you know, obviously she's sitting there and she's seeing her poor husband, uh, his brains just getting all spewed out and shit like that. I mean, that was just awful. I mean, that was awful. That was such a bad ending to uh, the Viper's storyline because he really wasn't in it all that much. And he was a great character. He would have been a fantastic character to keep in the series just a little bit longer. But, yeah, that that was a great scene, uh, the mountain versus the Viper, and that was – was that our first look at the third rendition of the mountain? Uh, yes. Yeah, which now is our current mountain. And as Marty said, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his name because it's something something crazy. But, yeah, great great choice, uh, Marty. I guess I'm going to pick number five, right? It's my turn, guys? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do uh, Olena Tyrell's death as oh, yes. my number five. <laughs> because <laughs> if we can call her the biggest gangster in Game of Thrones, uh, <laughs> she's just this old, first of all, she's just this old lady who is standing on her own against all of this shit, and the, just her death, she's, again, I keep saying she's a gangster, because there she is, and the whole series, it's like you don't fully know who killed Joffrey. I know that they tried to pin on Tyrion, but I never really ever thought that it was Tyrion. It's just you think it's someone. And it's like Jamie is trying to give her, like, the polite way out and shit like that because it's like they know that if they bring her in, it's going to be, like, a horrible death, and he doesn't want that for an old lady like her and kind of gives her, like, the easy way out. And she just drinks that shit like it's nothing like okay yeah cool it's gonna kill me fine and then just kind of like reveals that like hey i killed your little shit son 
And it's it was just so perfect because it's like, what's Jamie going to do at that point? And just the look on Jamie's face like, oh, shit. And it's like, at that point, not that you necessarily forgot about Joffrey, but so much other shit had been happening that you kind of a, a little forgot about Joffrey. And for her to just be like, yeah, I, I'm the one who killed Joffrey. It was just such a perfect freaking moment that I have to put as the number five and just really instills that Alina Tyrell is just a gangster in my book. And even though she died, it was like one of the greatest deaths in Game of Thrones because she went out with a bang. So that's going to be my number five pick. Kevin, I'm going to shoot over to you. What do you think about uh, Queen Tyrell's death? Oh, man, the Queen of Thorns. Another one gone too soon. Um, well, maybe not soon enough, actually. She is, she was old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but she, she, she was around for a while. Um, but, yeah, that death um, – I think right there, you, you kind of see the humanity of Jamie a little bit. You know, Jamie saying, you know, Cersei wanted me to do it, drag you through the streets or, you know, parade you around King's Landing and, uh, you know, make it a more humiliating death. I talked her into this nice little poison. And, you know, you start to see that if if you you ex, you expand on that humanity that Jamie has, that Jamie's developed throughout the show. So I wanted to mention that. It's a great scene. You know, what was her exact – does, what does she call uh, – I can't think of what she calls uh, Joffrey. Um, I can't think of the exact word that she calls him. It's a not nice word, though. She just called him a, nice, not, a not nice word. Um, but – and that's when it starts to, like, dawn on Jamie, like, wait, she was behind all of that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, to see her go down – what I was su- I was super confused there for a second, you know, because you see everybody just like you see Jamie and Braun and they're going towards somewhere and and I didn't know, you know, I, I wasn't super f- familiar with High Garden at the moment at that time, um, because it's one of those places that you don't really go, like you don't see a whole lot during the during the series, and so I was like, where are they? You know, they just ran through all this army and got bodies stacking up out inside the wall, and the Lannister troops are right there, and Jamie's just marching like he owns the place, which, I mean, I guess he does. Um, and then he opens that door, and you see Lady Olenna, and I was like, oh, damn. This is where it's about to happen. She's about to die. <laughs> but, yeah, it was a great scene. It's a great scene. I'm so glad we got our first season seven scene because I love season seven. And so I'm glad we got our first season seventeen. I love how she just says, like, tell her it was me. I want her to know it was me. Yeah. Like, yeah, Cersei, guess what? This old little lady, she's the one who took down your freaking son. It was just freaking perfect. Um, yeah, I love that so much. Uh, Marty, what's, what are your uh, feelings about uh, Alina Tyrell's death? Uh, full disclosure, I can't believe I didn't write this one down. <laughs> uh, and considering I wrote an article about it. Uh, yeah, uh, she, I thought it was somewhat of poetic justice that right before she went, she found a chance to dig the thorn in one more time. Uh, and the scene that uh, he was talking about where, uh, 
uh, she asked Jamie if he was going to use that sword he was wearing to kill her. Uh, he said, that wasn't even your sword. That was uh, Joffrey's sword. So what do you call it? He said, Widow's Whale. said, he really was a cunt, wasn't he? <laughs> that's, what she, that's what she told me. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, she went out. Uh, she'd been pretty much uh, a badass from the start, and that's the way she went out. Yeah, the most, like, badass old lady uh, I've ever seen. I don't know if anyone can rival that. Just using her, first of all, again, she just took that poison like it was nothing. She didn't sit there. She didn't consider, like, oh, shit, like, I'm going to die right now. She's just like, yep, okay, and then just used that last moment to tell Jamie, uh, I killed your little shit son because he was awful. And he, you know, I think it was, like, also, he was awful, but then she also didn't want um, him to marry her, like, granddaughter or something like that. So I think maybe it was kind of like a combination of the two. But either way, to me, it was, like, one of the most satisfying deaths for Joffrey to be killed. And now that we know that it was the this OG right here that killed him off was just fantastic. So uh, great uh just a great scene in Game of Thrones history. Uh, Kevin, you're going to take the number four slot right now. All right, so we're getting down to, like, the nitty-gritty over here. I'm getting a little nervous because if I this is number four, then I only have one more after this, right? Right. Oh, gosh, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm putting my faith in you guys, okay? So don't let me down. Um, oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to skip... I'm going to skip one of the ones because I'm, I'm thinking that maybe you guys are going to mention it. I'm also going to leave my last choice because in the little slack that we had, I did call dibs on it. So I'm going to talk about that one last. Um, I'm going to go with the Luke Season 7 moment. Love Season 7. Um, it's probably my favorite season, honestly, is either Season 6 or th- Season 7. I know Season 7 gets a lot of hate, but... uh. I love season seven. And I don't know why it gets so much hate. So Luke train attack, so much going on here, you know, going right off of what just happened that Jamie Braun, the whole King's Landing army just sacked Highgarden, has all of this gold, took all of Daenerys's money, essentially, um, bringing it back to Cersei so she can pay off the Iron Bank. Everybody's happy, hunky-dory, yay, yay, yay. We just won a battle. And then, News gets to Daenerys of what happened, and everybody on Dragonstone's like, Daenerys, don't go. Don't do it. You know, you're too important to go. And I think there's one scene where she looks at Tyrion and is like, what other choice do I have? And it's like, oh, shit, she's about to do this. And she hops on the dragon, hops on Drogon, and she they go. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is about to happen. Because literally this whole season has been, or this whole series has been like a buildup of Daenerys going to Westeros for the first time since she was a kid. Daenerys, you know, um, bringing these dragons back. Nobody's seen dragons for hundreds of years. And now we're about to see dragons in action in Westeros, blowing shit up. And it's great. You know, I watch this all the time. I love, This is probably one of my favorite battle scenes in Game of Thrones. Um, if I'm ha- ever having a bad day, I'll just go on YouTube and just type in, you know, the Battle of the Loot Train or the loot train attack and just watch it. And it's just oh, perfect. So, you know, you have, they're going through there, Jamie and Braun, they're riding their little horses. And all of a sudden, you know, they stop to talk to uh, Dickon, um, which love that name. Love the scene where <laughs> Dickon goes, Rickon, he goes, no, Dickon. 
<laughs> run just start cracking up. I love it so much. Um, Who thought of that? Like, dick on. Dick on. Dick on. Like, oh my gosh. Just Braun is my spirit animal. The maturity level there is like, we're on the same page. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they're talking to Rick on, or to Dick on, sorry. <laughs> and uh, you start to hear these wails. And everybody's like, oh, shit, someone's about to go down. And then you see the Dothraki army coming, and Bronn's like, you know, they're getting, all the Lannisters are getting information, and Bronn's telling Jamie, you know, go back to King's Landing. You're not needed here. You know, we're, we're, we're going to get, you know, we're going to get killed here. You need to leave. And Jamie's like, I'm going to stay with the army. And then you hear the shriek of Drogon. And just the way that they cut it and it has just like Drogon just coming through the clouds like a super badass and Jamie and Bronn's eyes about come out of their head and I'm over here I, like when I first saw it for the first time I was losing my shit I was jumping up and down I was screaming I was like yes this is about to happen <laughs> I was going crazy um and then she just it zooms in on Daenerys and she gives that like that infamous most it's one of the most like uh, one of the most hate filled Dracarises I've ever heard. She was like Dracaris and I was like, Oh dang <laughs> Everything's just blowing up and the music kicks in and it's just oh, and that they have that one cut scene where Drogon's just like burned a hole in the Lannister army and then you see there's like the Dothraki riders just swarming through that fire like it doesn't even phase them. And the Lannister troops are, like, all going, like, I mean, they're just getting pummeled. And it just shows, you know, the power of the dragons. And uh, I do want to say that I might have shed a tear when the squirt, when Bronn, because I was like, oh, my gosh, if Daenerys kills Bronn, that's going to be, like, my favorite character, killing my second favorite character. I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle that. And then Bronn hits Drogon with the scorpion uh, arrow, and I was like, Bron, you bastard, you just hit Drogon. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly I was like, Bron, you're not my favorite anymore. <laughs> We're not on talking terms. Um, but yeah, it was such a great battle. I think it's I think I love it so much. It's it needs to be on the list for sure. <laughs> the the problem, you know, now with like the seasons kind of coming with everything going right, in the beginning seasons everyone was sort of separate. But now everyone's coming together, and it's like at this point, I really like Jamie. He's definitely one of my favorite characters. Braun is amazing, but then also we love Daenerys, and they've all kind of been separate the whole entire series. But then when you have that like one moment, you're like, oh shit! Like who should I be rooting for? Like you know, is Daenerys gonna kill Jamie and Braun right now? Because how do you just fight against? dragons when all you have are like swords and shit like that it just didn't make like sense to me and that scene where like again there there keeps going it keeps going back to like fire right because as we mentioned earlier you know hound got all freaked out because he's seeing like everyone on fire in front of him well the same thing kind of happens with jamie when uh dracarius you know just mows down all those people and jamie's just seeing like all of his freaking like soldiers just on fire and it's awful and it that was like that was one battle scene that literally my like chest tightened up because i was like 
are they going to die? Like right now, this is it. This is what we're going to see. Oh, it was just so, so great. And they really accomplished you having that feeling of where like your heart is pretty much in the back of your throat because you're worried that two characters that have been in the series for a while who you've, you know, come to really like may be killed by another character that you really like. So it it was just a great scene. Sorry, go ahead, Kevin. No, I didn't say anything. Oh, I I, I thought you did. No, you are, you're killing it. (laughs) (laughs) It it was just, it's insane. Uh, Marty, what do you think? By the way, what is this battle called? Again, it's been so long. I feel like I don't know anything right now. (laughs) Well, Marty, what do you think about uh, this battle? Uh, I was really glad he mentioned this because this was high on my list. Uh, I said he was talking about uh, Bron talking to Dickon. So one of my favorite lines is when they're asking you know, they tell him he did well in battle and said, and what did he think about it? And he was talking about the smell. And he said, well, Brian told him, he said, well, men shit themselves when they die. Didn't they teach you that in fancy land school? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, that that whole thing was, was cool as shit. Uh, uh, the dragons come out, and it basically proved to uh, what uh, Jorah had told uh, Daenerys way back about uh, – you know, how she would do with the Dothraki. And he said that uh, if they were foolish enough to take on the Dothraki on level ground, uh, they would have problems, and that's exactly what they did. They took him out on level ground, the Dothraki was running roughshod through him. Uh, it, like I said, uh, it was cool. It gave Bran a chance to kind of shine a bit, you know, with uh, uh, taking on the uh, the uh, giant uh, crossbow thing. Uh, and... Uh, and he also saved Jamie when he was about ready to get toasted uh, because he was stupid enough to try to take on a dragon with a stick. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this this definitely needs to be on the list. It, it's great because, you know, we've always kind of – in the season one, we saw, obviously, the Dothraki, and we, as you said, had, like, the threat of what may happen if there's a battle between the Dothraki. But – to me, and you guys can correct me, I feel like we haven't really seen the Dothraki in all their glory in quite some time. So then when you saw them just freaking, like, plowing through in this episode, it's like, holy shit. Like, they are warriors. They're not concerned with, you know, being fancy or, you know, having any sort of, like, the way they battle is just so different. They're just completely wild, and they, uh, they come at you. They come at you in numbers and in, like, just uh, strategy and their attitude was just amazing. And, like, you you sit there and you're looking and you're like, how is anyone ever going to defeat Daenerys? Like, I know Euron has his army, but Daenerys literally has the Dothraki and the Unsullied. So I just don't understand. And dragons. And two dragons. So I just don't understand how anyone thinks that they're going to be able to go up against her. Uh, really quick as a question, what did you guys think, though, of when uh, Daenerys kind of then just has her dragon execute Dickon pretty much in that scene? Uh, I guess I'll go to Marty first for that. 
Honestly, I, initially I was kind of surprised. You know, Tyrion was basically trying to talk her out of it. But I guess he was trying to just, just set the tone that, you know, you're either with me or you're against me, and, and this is kind of what happens when you're against me. Uh, you know, it's not like she didn't give them the chance to make that decision, uh, and she did, but uh, they decided they weren't going to go with her, so she did what she had to just to kind of, you know, let people know what this is what happens when uh, you make a wrong choice. Right, and... It, but and I'm gonna actually ask Kevin this. You know, like, what did you think really with that? And then did you kind of think that is Daenerys getting maybe like a little too tyrannical? Tyrannic, I don't know, like too much of a tyrant, and maybe showing signs of what everyone kind of fears when there's a Targaryen in power. Uh, no, no, he should have just bent the knee. Everything would have been a lot easier if they would have just bent the knee, and they didn't, and so Drogon crisped them. You can see where people are coming from uh, regarding, like, what you said, how she's turning into a little bit of, like, the Mad Queen. Um, but, no, I think Daenerys has that, you know, she just wants people to want her to rule, and she thinks, I mean, she knows that she's going to be a better role than Cersei is. And, um, you know, if you make the wrong choice and you stand in her way, she does have a dragon and she will burn you alive. And that's that. <laughs> There's really not much you can do when the person who is asking to bend the knee has a dragon. I mean, I would have bent the knee. If anything, you could have just, like, ran away afterwards. I don't understand, like, how hard it is. Did you really just want to be, like, burnt alive? Because that shit looks, like, terrible as hell. So, poor Dickon. He he just not, did not use his head. Um, by the way, for anyone listening, fun fact, I believe that the guy who played Dickon is the same guy who plays Luther on the Umbrella Academy. Because it was bothering me why this guy looks so familiar when I was watching the Umbrella Academy and I realized like, oh, that's the dude who gets set on fire by uh, by Daenerys' dragon. So just a little fun fact for you guys. Uh, and I think, yes, number three is going to Marty. Okay, uh We've been dancing around this one, so we're going to have to get to it. And that would be the Red Wedding. Uh, and yeah. uh, this was this is the other one where uh, if you thought that nobody was safe when Ned Stark got killed, we wiped out a bunch of them in this one. You uh, wiped out Rob Stark. You wiped out Caitlin Stark. You wiped out uh, Rob's wife, Talisa. You even knocked out Rob's wolf. Uh, so uh, and it basically another thing this episode gave me was a whole bunch more people to hate. Uh, hated the Freys. Of course, I already hated uh, the Lannisters for the most part. Hated now hated the Boltons. Uh, um, they basically gave a whole and also because Aya was there, who was there, uh, it kind of put the phrase on her uh, hit list, uh, and it was extremely well done. They said this was the episode where I caught the reaction uh, thing on YouTube, and I was going. What the heck happened? Because they didn't show what they were watching. They just showed people's reaction to it. And, I, and I'm assuming most of these people were reacting when uh, when uh, Black Walter stabbed his wife through the abdomen. 
Uh, and I was thinking, man, what the hell is going on here that these people are acting like that? That's what I end up deciding about. I need to check out Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, the Red Wedding, I remember everyone, like, online, if you type in Game of Thrones, that's what everyone talks about is the Red Wedding. And I was like, why is it called the Red Wedding? And then I saw it, I was like, oh, that's why it's called the Red Wedding. Um, that whole scene is just intense. Because you know that something is going on. You know that something doesn't feel right. And when they stabbed uh, Rob Stark's wife in the stomach and she was pregnant, I was like, oh, my God. I reacted just like that because I was like, they can't, they can't kill the pregnant lady. And, no, they did. Like, that's the thing about Game of Thrones. They're never afraid to, like, go there. And they kill her, they kill Rob, they kill Caitlin. And as you said, you know, Arya's there and that one scene where, isn't it, where they're kind of parading around uh, the quote-unquote King of the North with the, you know, the wolf's head attached to, like, his body and shit. And that's just, can you imagine being like Arya? First of all, like, Arya is losing, like, everyone in her family and she obviously like wants to like see what's happening and the hound at that point who's with her is like no 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 like you know we have to leave because even he knows like some fucked up shit right now is going on but that entire thing and I felt really like what was almost like not beautiful that's a wrong like word to say but like morbidly beautiful is like Caitlin's just like standing there watching as all this like mayhem is going on in front of her and her throat just gets split and it's almost like very anticlimactic and it's not done in like such this like aggressive way it's just like there and I think that it was almost like a metaphor for how like she almost felt because she couldn't even be aware of her surroundings because she's just seeing the death of her son and the death of so many. And for that to just happen, it's almost, it it was almost like putting her out of her misery in a way. It was just the whole setup of the red wedding was done so beautifully, but in such a tragic way. Uh, and I'm so glad that the Red Wedding made it its way onto this list. Certainly one of the standout moments in Game of Thrones. Whenever you speak about this show, you have to mention the Red Wedding because it was just full of carnage and wiped out the Stark family. Um, where you almost thought that, is there a way that how Stark could ever just fully recover from this now that you know, this, the shining light uh, Rob is now gone. So, yeah, that oof, I'm so happy that this made it onto the list. Kevin, you know, t- tell us what you thought about the Red Wedding. Um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was that, like probably one, that, one of those first like really oh shit moments because I had no idea that this was coming. Um, I was convinced that Rob was going to be, you know, he was everything, doing everything right. Everything was going happy nori. Um, everything's going good. And then the reins of customers start to play. The doors lock. You see that Roose Bolton has that chain mail on underneath that, under his uh, attire. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, it was kind of like when Catman realized that something was going on. That's when I realized that something was going on. And then 
you know, you get the arrow into Rob and, you know, Talisa gets stabbed in the stomach and I was like, oh my crazy. Uh, so yeah, it, that was, yeah, I'm glad this was on the list. This is one of the ones that I was hoping that you guys would put on for me. Um, so, so far you guys are doing great. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like it's hard to really narrow down Game of Thrones to just like 10 moments. Cause I wrote down all of these moments. Right. And, uh, I think I said, like, what, maybe, like, two of them. But then the list has been so great because as we're going through it, I was like, oh, yeah, that thing, that thing happened. I, it's been a while since I've rewatched Game of Thrones because right now I don't have HBO. So it, it's like reliving all of this shit again. I definitely have to, like, maybe just go and buy it for right now just to binge watch it again because there's so many things now that I feel like I'm forgetting about that uh, when season eight comes out, I'm going to be like, wait, what? Oh yeah. But Mm -hmm. uh, the red wedding is perfect. And just to kind of piggyback on that for two seconds, how perfect was it when Arya finally got her revenge for the red wedding? Yes. Tell them the North remembers. Tell them winter fell or the winter came for House Frey. I was like, oh, <laughs> yes, that was so great. Oh, that was phenomenal. <laughs> that whole episode was phenomenal. I really hope that's what you're about to say right now. That was just so perfect. Like Arya just coming back, and it's like, who would have ever thought in season one that this, you know, little little girl pretty much would have been just probably one of the most fierce uh, warriors that anyone has ever just kind of gone against. I mean, don't mess with her family. You may be able to kill them, but she'll come back and give it to you tenfold. Mm-hmm. I think that's just like the moral of it. But the Red Wedding is just, oof. I may have to try and find that on YouTube and watch it again after this and just suffer again um but i'm glad that it made it onto the number three spot so i guess i'll take uh the number two i feel like almost like it's not gonna live up to that (laughs) i feel like i'm like oh man but i really want to talk about this scene just because it was so amazing and i want to uh talk about denarius freeing the unsullied just because i think that that is such a perfect scene first and again it's been a while so i can't like really remember like names all that well so i do apologize but you have that dickhead leader who you know is speaking in valerian he's just using like the worst slurs ever and poor Missande has to just kind of sit there and smile and nod and try her best to translate so that like Daenerys doesn't hear the fact that he's calling her, you know, all all these terrible things. And then Daenerys, you know, offers up a dragon. And you can see, like, Jorah, like, just looking at her like, no, you can't give your dragon away. And she's just kind of like, you know, you don't, you don't know what she has in her pocket right now because you know if you're someone again who maybe hasn't read the books like I didn't read at the time you don't know what's setting up for this you just think that she's going to give away her dragon and then that one scene where she's just kind of like looking at all of the unsullied and he's just and the 
I'm just going to call him the dickhead leader. That's going to be my nickname for him. Um, but the dickhead leader is holding the dragon. He's, you know, telling again Miss Sandy, like, oh, this stupid bitch, this stupid slut, you know, blah, blah, blah. Tell her she has nice tits or something like that. You know, all these nasty things. And then finally, you know, she turns around and she just says some shit in Valerian. And everyone is just like, what? And it's like, you know Valerian? And she's like, that was my mother's name native tongue and it's like yeah yeah mother effer she knew everything you were saying this whole entire time and there's almost a moment moment i don't know if you guys caught it where miss sandy is actually kind of like smirking because she's like proud that this woman you know is exact knew exactly what the hell was going on the whole entire time and when she's just like tells uh i forget which dragon it was if it was dracarius or drogon i forget at this moment but she tells um one of them to just like pretty much let it rip and just fucking just blasts away that king and it's so satisfying and she pretty much tells like the unsullied like you're free now like, you're free, you have, you know, no, like, turn on those who oppress you, and they all just start kind of, like, you know, hitting their spears onto the ground, and you see that, like, they're now hers, because, you know, that's who she is, she's the breaker of chains, and that's what she's done for them, and they're a huge army, and this is just her building her army. It's just a satisfying moment as hell. I love that moment so much just because as soon as she turned around, she said something in Valerian, and you could see, like, everyone was like, holy shit. I was like, holy shit. They were all like, holy shit. And that dickhead leader was able to think, holy shit, right before he was burned alive. It was fucking perfect. I loved that scene. I'm going to stop talking about it right now and – uh, Marty, I'll I'll give it to you to comment on it. Uh, again, that's why I love this exercise because that was another scene I did not think about until now that you've talked about it, and it w- was perfect. And like I said, there's a look on his face when she started speaking Valerian to him, and he just thought for sure that he was sitting there like calling her every foul name in the book, and she had no idea what was saying. And the sound day was being so polite. To, uh, uh, translating without using the words he was using. Uh, but uh, I pretty much kind of thought something was up when she so readily handed that dragon over to him. Uh, but uh, uh, the way they did it, it was it was just great. And I also like the fact that even though, you know, the Unsullied were hers, she still basically gave them the freedom to, just, you know, if you want to go somewhere, you're more, you're more than welcome to do that. But, uh, you know, because she set them free, they, they, as you say, they were hers. Uh, it, it was awesome. And I think that was, like, kind of the whole point of Daenerys that we've seen throughout the series is because she herself felt so trapped because her brother had that hold on her. And, you know, I know that she came to love Drogo, but she was first pretty much, you know, sold off to him and, you know, was forced into it even though then she turned uh, around to you know love him she knows what it felt like to be a slave she knows what it feels like to be chained up and shit like that so it was just to her she's always going to give them a chance to uh 
make their own decisions and all that. So she let the unsullied know that this this uh this choice is yours, but of course, after she had that badass move, I mean, what other choice can they have but to uh, follow her into battle or into wherever that she wanted to go? So uh, I just absolutely loved it. Um, Kevin, what what were your feelings about Daenerys freeing the Unsullied? Um, I thought it was great. I thought it was such a power move by Daenerys, um, because like earlier in the season, you see her at uh, Karth, and she's teaching Drogon like Dracarys, and she's teaching him how to like. Uh, well, she doesn't say Dracarys, but she's teaching him how to like burn his fire, like. And she, throughout the whole series, like Drogon is her dragon, like that's her favorite one, that's her baby. She's he's the one that she rides into battle. He's the one that you know gets the most that gets fed the most. He's the one who, he's the biggest one, you know, in comparison to Rhaegal and Viserion. I mean, he is the biggest, he's the biggest out of the three. And so when she's so readily, like kind of like how you said, Marty, when she so readily handed over Drogon, her favorite dragon, like it was nothing. I was like, there's got to be a little twist here because like she has two other dragons that she very easily could have handed over Drogon to hand over like what <laughs> and then you know like you said Tia she just understands everything that this guy's saying to her and then she just the first time that she's ever said it on screen she just says you know lets him have Dracarys and just boom and I was like oh damn <laughs> I was like yes you got an army now it's about to go down oh it was great like, once she got that army I was super happy and you know that's when we see Grey Worm that's when we start to see, you know I love Grey Worm as well and Masande gets to come with her as well and so I was like hey you know it's a great scene. It's good. I, it's not the one that I thought that you were going to say, <laughs> but it's still a good scene. I, it still deserves to be on this list for sure. That being said, we definitely have to do a part two to this. <laughs> I do want to know um, what scene you thought I was going to say. Well, when you start, when you came up with the number two and you started talking about, um, you said something, you, you didn't specifically say Daenerys at first, and you said that it might not live up to the number two scene, and so I was like, what is she talking about? So I thought that you were going to say when Cersei blew up the Sept of Baelor in season six of finale, because we hadn't talked about Cersei yet. So I thought that's what you were going with, but I was like, maybe. <laughs> that actually is on my list. That's what I'm saying. Like, I have this, like, massive yeah. list, and I guess I can say it as an honorable mention right now that oh, yeah. I was going to pick that because that also is like this fantastic scene which again just kind of shows like how Cersei always has a trick up her sleeve which is why I like not that I'm saying I want this to happen but which is why I could have a chance that Cersei may be the last person standing because she is always ahead of the game so I'm glad that you said that you thought that I was going to pick that because that is Uh definitely on my list. So we need a part two to this just to kind of like follow up on that. Oh, for sure. Like, you know that Cersei's secretly working with the Night King and like (laughs) they've got like, they're colluding together, hurt the Cersei and the Night King. (laughs) Listen, you never freaking know. You never know. 
Um, I do want to, like, put out a little bit of an apology, guys. Uh, if anyone heard that, my dog was whining before, and my boyfriend was taking her out on a walk. And he's not always the best whisperer, so he thinks he's whispering, but he's like, shh. And it's like, I can hear you. <laughs> but my dog always whines when she's ready to go out on a walk. But anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, Oh God! I can't believe right now that we are at the number one. And before I kind of go into that, and Kevin, you're you're going to get the number one, so I hope that you're ready for this. Oh, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> but before I do that, I'm actually going to count down the uh, choices that we have so far. So number ten is the season eight trailer. Number nine is the beheading of Ned Stark. Number eight is Hound telling Joffrey to fuck off. Uh, seven is Daenerys in the fire for that first time. Number six is the mountain versus the viper. Number five is Olena Tyrell's death. Uh, number four, I, it's kind of long. Uh, number four, I wrote down Daenerys uh, on a dragon mowing down Jamie's army. <laughs> that was my long version of number four. Uh, number three is the Red Wedding. Number two is Daenerys freeing the Unsullied. And Kevin, you have the honor, sir, of getting the number one spot. I feel so honored. So we listed off all of those moments, correct? And you know there's one name that is a pivotal name in Game of Thrones that hasn't been mentioned. I don't think at all this whole, I don't know how we haven't mentioned his name. Um, but once we were talking about we, when we were talking about you know doing the show, I immediately called it. I was like, I need to do the Battle of the Bastards. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was like, dibs. <laughs> that is my favorite episode. Um, I think it's the best episode in Game of Thrones history, and it's like. From start to finish, I mean, it is phenomenal. I think when we're talking about Battle of the Bastards, everybody, um, you know, everybody typically just talks about the battle. But it's the whole episode because, like, there's this whole thing with Daenerys before we get to the north that, you know, Tyrion's in charge of Slaver's Bay and the Slaver's owners are coming back to collect the slaves and um, the Sons of the Harpy are raging you know, going crazy, um, killing everybody, going after Unsullied and everything, and Tyrion's about to lose all that everything's everything that Daenerys has worked for. And then, you know, in the ending moments of, of the eighth episode, you hear the shriek of Drogon, and somebody, and you know, the Unsullied is lined up at the door because somebody lands on the pyramid. And then season nine, or that season season six, the Battle of the Bastards, it opens up with Daenerys storming through the door. And it's like, yes, the queen's back, because, you know, that she's been gone for the longest time. Her and Drogon have been gone, left Tyrion in charge. And she's back, and she's bringing back, you know, the Dothraki army with her. And Dario Naharis is coming with her. And she, you know, you get like that confrontation with the slavers and they're saying, you know, we negotiate the terms of your surrender. And Daenerys, you know, is just sitting there listening to them jabber. And then she just goes, oh, I think we're, or it's Tyrion that says, um, we're mistaken. We're negotiating the terms of your surrender. 
and then Drogon just lands right there and, you know, huge. It's like he's grown like double the size from when the last time we saw him. Just a super huge, intimidating, badass dragon. Daenerys hops on him, you know, frees Viserion and Rhaegal, and they just lay waste to everything. And then you got the, like I said, Daria leading the Dothraki to take out the Sons of the Harpy, and everybody's so happy, and I'm like, yes, this is exactly <laughs> what I wanted. <laughs> like Daenerys, dragons, yeah, now she has an art, now she has boats, you know, we're going to Westeros, baby. Um, and, like, the best part of the episode. Like, that, while everything that happens in Slaver's Bay is great, the best part of the episode's in the North. Um, you know, you have, like we said before the show, you know, we have Sansa telling Ramsay, you know, sleep well, Lord Bolton, you will be dying tomorrow. And, you know, that's the first time that she's seen him since, you know, she escaped from him and all the terror that he caused her. Um, you know, John telling Sansa, you know, you don't have to be here. But even before he gets there, John telling her, you know, you don't have to be here. And she's like, no, I do. <laughs> and, you know, she gives him that great fatal that last message. And then, you know, you get to see how much of a coward that Ramsay is because John's like, you know, all of these army doesn't have to die. Just one man, you and me, one-on-one. And Ramsay's like, no, I'm not doing that. You're the greatest swordsman. Everybody says, you're the greatest swordsman that's ever walked. You know, I'm not doing that. And, you know, you, then you then you have, like, John and Davos and Tormund, and they're all doing their whole battle planning, and Sansa gets pissed off, and she has a right to be pissed off because she's the only one that's ever really talked to Ramsay, and nobody's getting her advice on the battle. And she lays into John and is like, you know, I know him, and you're going to go into a trap, and you're going to fall into that trap and you're going to lose. And, you know, then John goes to Melisandre and is like, you know, hey, if I die, don't bring me back. Because, and, you know, it, it just builds up. And it's like it's like the whole season, even the past, like, three seasons, has been building up to this moment of the Starks getting Winterfell back. And then the battle happens, and, you know, we, we lose Rickon. Rickon dies in the battle or before the battle, and can you get that phenomenal cut, the great cut that I think is, like, probably one of the most, the greatest cuts in Game of Thrones history when John realizes that he's, like, pretty much fucked at this point because he went looking for Rickon, and Ramsay sent the army as soon as John was, like, by himself. And, you know, John's horse has died. Um he's on his feet, him against, you just see like in slow motion, this whole army just coming towards him and the music kicks and you're like, oh my God, John's going to die again and they're not going to bring him back this. And then John's army comes in and saves the day. And then from there on, it's just like pandemonium, just cuts here and there going. I mean, Miguel Sapinchik, he's the one who directed this episode and he's also the one who's going to be directing the Battle of Winterfell. Um, he just killed it, you know. Very little music when the bat when the fighting's happening, but you hear like the bones crashing, the 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 the, the life going from people. You hear people wailing, people screaming, and you know you get Ramsey's plan works. His plan works. You, eventually, he has John surrounded with a pile of dead bodies 
a wall of dead bodies just surrounding John and his army, and you're like, dude, how are they going to get out of this? Because then, you know, they bring the they bring um, the Bolton army closer and closer and closer with those spears, and and they're like, John's dead. And then Littlefinger, as much as we hate him, but Sansa comes through, and the Knights of the Vale come in, and they do it, and they win it. The look on Ramsay's face when he looks out, and you can see it, you know, he sees Sansa's red hair. And he knows, you know, oh, you're the one that did this, you know. You you lost me this battle. And he retreats because he knows that this is done. And then uh, John gets out of the battle miraculously so fast. John climbs up those, those, uh, that wall of bodies so quickly, him and Tormund and 1-1. One, one, from how far 1-1 one, one was away from John and Tormund, he must have, like, teleported to where they were at because he got there so quickly. Um <laughs> And then they dead sprint towards Winterfell, and oh man, you know Ramsey. Oh, we can do this one on one now. John picks up that shield, blocks his three arrows, and then just beats the shit out of him. And I was like, yes, <laughs> bleed for me, bleed. <laughs> and it was oh so great. It's so great. And then you know, John realizes that Sansa's sitting there, and he knows like this isn't his kill to have. This is Sansa's kill to have. Sansa needs to be the one to kill Ramsey. Sansa needs to be the one that, you know, issues him that death sentence. You know, Ramsey, Ramsey tells her, you know, I'll be a part of you forever. And she's like, no, <laughs> your name will die. Your memories will die. Your house will die. But I'm still going to like, I'm still going to be moving on. And she releases the hounds on him. And it's just like, oh, yes, I know you love Ramsey's character, but that was the most satisfying death I think I've ever seen. Just to see like his hands cribble and then just like stop. And I was like, yeah. Yes, die. This is why you feed your animals. Animal cruelty is not a good thing. This is why you feed your animals because they will kill you. (laughs) Listen, two things really quick. Uh, First of all, fun fact, did you know that apparently if you die right in your house and you have cats, they will eat you? Um, I have four cats, so just in case I ever die, then that's what's going to happen. So I feed them regularly, guys. They're pretty fat, so hopefully that's not going to happen. But um, I will say, Kevin, much to – okay, so for anyone who's listening, much to Kevin's chagrin, uh, I I loved Ramsey. But not in a sense like, oh, I wanted Ramsey to be a good person and help them and, you know, live on. Like, no, no, no. I just thought that he was, like, the best freaking villain. Like, I hated Joffrey because he was a little shit. But you cannot deny that Ramsey was, like, this strategic, well-thought-out mother ever. And he was brutal. I mean, just what he's done, he, you know, castrated Theon. Whatever your feelings are towards Theon, you know, he, like, reduced him down to, like, this sniveling, you know, weak person who, you know, was pretty much his pet at some point. And that's another scene, like, the, the sheer, like, courage that it had to have taken Theon to, like, help Sansa leave because he was so broken at that point. And Ramsay was able to do that. He skinned alive that one old lady. He threw his stepmother and, you know, baby brother or baby whatever to his dogs. I mean, he is just a brutal person. Um, and that whole scene, like, again, we talked about this before the show, but I love where John is just like, let's go one-on-one, you and me. And Ramsey's like, 
I don't know if I can beat you, but I know my army can beat you. And when John goes, you know, but will they fight for you when you just, you know, show them that you aren't going to fight for them? Oh, so good. And that battle, it literally, again, it's one of those moments like, you know, where my like heart is in the back of my throat because when that scene when they're coming in with the shields and you're like, they're going to die. Like how the hell is John and Tormon going to get out of this right now? And even though Littlefinger was always like a bastard and, you know, he got like what was coming to him, he came through. Sansa knew that as much of a freaking, as much as like a sleazeball as, you know, Littlefinger was, you needed him in that moment. And it was perfect. It was really perfect. I mean, the thing about Game of Thrones is they play like the long haul. It's not like you see something and it's like, you know, taken care of within one season. It's like, no, this shit like is a long story that has to just go. And to think that this is like when they finally get Winterfell back after all this time it was perfect because it just John, the bastard child, right? You know, the who you find out eventually that he isn't a bastard, but the bastard child who was made to feel like he probably was never really a part of Winterfell to be the one to almost bring everything back to Winterfell was just it was just so amazing. Everything leading up great. I have to say, um who who's the Who's the little queen? Because she's such a badass. I forget her name oh, now. Lady Mormont. Lady oh, Mormont. When she's like, we stand with John. You know, the North remembers. The king of the... Oh, so good. Just so good. Everything leading up to the Battle of the Bastards. And the fact that the same guy is going to be directing that episode in the next season. They say that it's going to beat out Battle of the Bastards. We're all going to die. We're going to die. Yeah. Like, us watching it are going to, like, die because it's going to be crazy. Um, but I'm going to stop talking because Marty's probably sitting there like, I want to talk about Battle of the Bastards now. So, Marty, give us, like, you know, just give us all your thoughts about this, you know, battle, about this episode. I'm not sure I can follow that breakdown. Good night, folks. Okay. Uh Battle of the Masters was the first episode that actually had a nervous stomach before the thing started because I had no idea what was going to happen. And, you know, the actor who played uh, Ramsey Bolton, and I, I'm not sure exactly how his name's pronounced, Ewan Rayon, that's how it's spelled, but he did a great job because I hated his freaking guts. Uh, and in the end, he got exactly what I hoped he would get. But I do have a question uh, for you. Uh, the panel that's been bugging me, the, you know, when they're talking to uh, Ramsey, you know, on horseback, and she tells Ramsey that uh, Sleepwell is going to die, she rides off. After she rides off is when he mentions that he hadn't fed his hounds in seven days. So, you know, at the end of the thing where uh, Mm -hmm. he's... I'm sorry? Yeah, I know exactly where you're going with this. (laughs) Yeah, it's because... he, you know, he tells her that his hounds will never harm him. She goes, yeah, but you haven't fed him in seven days. You said so yourself. But she wasn't there to hear that. Yep. My my guess is that maybe just like John told her. I don't know why John would tell her, hey, Sansa, you know, hey, Ramsey hasn't fed his hounds in seven days. Uh, <laughs> but 
Well, so that's why I mean I would I wouldn't think John would do it just because you know you know say hey you know in case we lose this battle right she hasn't he hasn't fed his hounds in seven days so chances are they're going to just tear into it so uh, sleep well. Yeah. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> but yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm glad that you brought that up though because that's just one of those questions that like if I ever got to interview somebody that's been with like a director from Game of Thrones it definitely be be Miguel Sapin. I I don't even know how I pronounce his last name. Um, because he's, I think he's one of the best directors that's ever been on there. And that's one of the things that I'll ask him, like, hey, you know, how did Sansa know <laughs> Ramsey hadn't fed his house? <laughs> maybe, really... maybe she just had, like, a feeling, because that's kind of what he does, is that he just doesn't feed his dogs so that they're so ravenous. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's possible. I mean, uh, he fed his uh, little girlfriend. Uh, they got thrown off the wall to his dogs, or at least that's what he told them to do, because he said he didn't want to uh, let fresh meat go to waste. So he he was a charmer. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because he, he was like, oh, it would be a waste of meat or something like that. It's like, oh, dude, like, that's your, like, girl there, and you just feed her to your dogs. Like, it's just so cold-hearted. Yeah, I said uh, that's that was kind of Ramsey though. Uh, said, uh, eating. And yet you still like him. Yeah, it was just it, like Ramsey is just. And again, I can't help but like just love him as a character. And that's why when they introduced Euron and they said that like you know he was going to be like worse than Ramsey, and we haven't really seen that yet. I'm just really hoping that we see that in the next season because then that was just kind of like a false promise to say like, oh, he's going to be worse than Ramsey. Because I don't know about you guys, but I haven't seen anything that has made him worse than Ramsey. Mm, no, not even close yet. Yeah, yeah so, I, I mean, he, you know, do you think that he killed um, – I'm, I'm sorry. It's been a while, so it, I'm, like, forgetting names. Who is Theon's sister? Yara, yes, I think he does. You think he killed her or he just, like, has her right now? I think he has her. I think he's going to kill her, and I think he's going to kill Theon as well. Praise be to the good Lord. <laughs> Theon should have died I- in a long time <laughs> I think that Theon is definitely going to kill uh, – I mean, sorry. I think that Theon's definitely going to die in the next season, which, again, he's another character that I like. Even though he's made mistakes and he's done some fucked up shit, uh, ultimately I just kind of feel that his storyline is a little bit more complicated than that to just outright say that, oh, I dislike him because maybe he's a bad person. But uh, uh, yeah, I just like Sorry, I just like he's a bad person. <laughs> I don't know. I just I, I, they're the complicated characters are the ones that I like the most in these kind of shows. So that's just me. But um, there I feel like could not have been any other scene for us to choose as the number one other than Battle of the Bastards, just because it was pretty much the most perfectly done episode in the season. And that being said, guys, now that we, you know, kind of finished up the top 10, uh, I'm, and I don't know, have I asked this be earlier? Cause I'm like trying to drink my coffee right now and still semi wake up. But 
did I ask what we think is going to happen in the next season? Like, who do we think is going to die? Uh, everybody. <laughs> That's how the show's going to end. Nobody. Uh, Marty, do you think, like, who do you think is going to end up on the Iron Throne? Um, yeah, I'm not certain because a lot of the people I think that might survive really have no interest in the Iron Throne. I mean, Aya has no interest in the Iron Throne. If John survives, really, he has no interest in the Iron Throne either. Uh, now, Cersei, if you know, if it goes the way that uh, you might surmise, and she certainly, of course, she's already on the Iron Throne, she, so she just stay there. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, you know, even you know, we talked about Bronn. I don't think I don't think Bronn wants to be on the Iron Throne either. Uh, oh, no. Jay, I don't think he wants to be. I mean, I'm not sure other than Cersei who actually, or maybe, the, um, oh, shoot, we just talked about him. Um, old age will do this to you. Uh, Mr. Uh, Theon's brother. Oh, you're oh, on. You're on. Yeah, you're on. Now, you're on would probably want to sit on the Iron Throne. But, uh, I mean, other than Cersei, I, most of these people probably wouldn't even want to sit on the Iron Throne. I almost think that, like, you guys can yell at me if you want, but it almost would feel, I almost can see Jamie on the Iron Throne. Like, just in a way that it would almost be, like, or or Tyrion, honestly. Like, oh either God. of those, Tyrion. if they if they put Tyrion on the Iron Throne, like, you know, he was one of the last people standing, and he just, you know, ended up ruling uh, the kingdom. I, I don't know. I feel like that would be a twist that maybe not a lot of people would see. Yeah. That I mean, would be ironic. Well, I hate to uh, let you know this, Tia, but... um. Your boy Jamie's not gonna live. He's 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 a goner. <laughs> you never know in Game of Thrones. You can't make those Jamie, type of assumptions. Jamie has to die. Like if Jamie lives, it should it, it would be weird, you know, because he technically started this whole war, and his perfect death is gonna be something of like him sacrificing himself to either keep Brienne of Tarth or a Stark child alive, and then hey, if Jamie lives, that'd be really weird. Uh, Tyrion, I can see him making it through, but at the same time, like, I can see him making it through and, like, going to, like, the Night's Watch, um, and becoming the 1,000th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, or being, like, the Hand of the King or the Hand of the Queen, maybe not ruling. I don't see, I don't see it going over very well and having an imp as the, as the King of the Seven Kingdoms. I don't think that would go over very well with the people. Um... I mean, it's just changing, you know, like yeah, in the I mean, whole thing. So, I don't know. Jamie's going to live, and he's going to end up with Brienne, and they're going to go live happily ever after. That's going to be my uh, little dream there, just so because. Like Lord of the Rings ending. <laughs> considering I've never seen Lord of the Rings, <laughs> I will take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, everybody lives happily ever after, and everybody. Yeah, but that's how it's going to go down. I hope so. I really do. I mean, I was kidding earlier when I said that everybody dies. I don't think everybody's going to die. <laughs> um, I think that the Hound's going to die. Bronn yep. might die. I'm sorry to let oh, you yeah, know. Oh, yeah, Bronn's going to die. I'm, I'm, Bronn. yeah, I'm fully prepared for John, Bronn to die. <laughs> I think Tormon's going to die. 
Unfortunately. Yep. Unfortunately. All, all, like, the real, like, big warriors I see dying. Mm-hmm. Euron's going to die. Theon's probably going to die. Um, I, I'm sorry. I just really sit there thinking that Cersei may end up alive. And I think almost that Daenerys is going to die. I don't want uh, it to happen. Yeah. But if you think of, like, the way that Game of Thrones goes with its storytelling, the fact that, you know, she's been, you know, leading up to this this whole time and she's gained all this, like, strength and traction, it would almost be too easy to be like, oh, and now she is on the Iron Throne, the thing that she has wanted. It's like if they really wanted to pull the rug out from underneath us, they – would kill off her character, like probably in the last episode. And if mm-hmm. John did end up living, then he would, you know, like erect a statue or something for her. I don't fucking know. Um, yeah. I, mean, I think, I think as it gets closer and closer, it's becoming like, for me, it seems like a more and more likely scenario that Daenerys dies. Um, yeah. I just think that I don't like, see, I don't see a world where Daenerys and John both make it out of this season like that's like I know we say all the time like you know hey you can't you can't make like assumptions you can't think like for a fact but like I I would be floored if Daenerys and Jon lived through this season just because it's like that's too much of a happy ending you know like you can't have if they both end up living it's not like they're going to rule together it's going to be Daenerys on the Iron Throne and Jon is going to go and, you know, just be the king of the north, go back to Winterfell and shit like that. Because uh, do you guys see them, first of all, finding out that they're related? And oh, absolutely. do you think at that point, though, that they would care? I think I think that's going to happen pretty, on, pretty early on in the, in the season. And I think it's going to be like, I think Sam's going to be the one that tells John, you know, hey, you've been screwing your aunt. Um, good luck with that. And John, I think he's going to handle it a lot worse than Daenerys just because, like, Daenerys grew up under the assumption that she was going to marry her brother just because that's what Targaryens did. You know, Cersei says it. Targaryens wedded brother and sister all the time to keep the line, to keep the lines pure. And so Daenerys, I don't think it's going to bother her that that's her nephew. John, on the other hand, John's going to be pretty messed up. And I think that 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 could play into a little bit. And I think ultimately, I think, you know, he'll get over it because, you know, your aunt's pretty attractive, man. So whatever. (laughs) Well, they also didn't grow up with each other. Like I I definitely see Daenerys not seeing a big deal in it. Cause as you said, house Targaryen has kind of had this like whole incest thing going on for a while. John may look poorly into like on it just because not only is that something that's kind of foreign to him but you know it's been a running theme where everyone like looks at Jamie and Cersei's relationship you know as something very wrong and for him it may be like almost like a hypocritical thing like oh well it's you know wrong because you guys are brother and sister but it's perfectly okay because she's just my aunt I don't know. Yeah. That's how, like, I'm, I'll like, thinking about it. Yeah. I'll, I'll I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, Marty, you know, really quick before we wrap things up, um, who do you think is going to live when, once uh, Season 8 is all said and done? All right. Uh, uh, I pretty much could see Aya getting through 
uh, like I said, I don't. I'm, I agree. I don't somehow see John and Daenerys coming through. All uh, everything happy. Although I also wonder, is there any possibility that Daenerys, even though you know the witch told her she could not become pregnant, could she become pregnant with from John? Because he told her, you know, when she hmm. he, she told him that. You know, which I can't have any children. He said, "Well, she's not a very reliable source, is she?" So uh, it makes you wonder if that's the kind of thing they might decide to throw in there. That's interesting, and kind of also like sparks a question for both of you guys. You know, we found out in the last season that Jamie—not Jamie, not Jamie Sadler—that Cersei was pregnant, um, and that she couldn't drink wine. But then we see in the trailer she's drinking wine. So, A, do you think that she was making it up? And, B, do you think that she lost the child? And I'm going to start with Marty first for this. I tend to believe more that she made it up than she, than she lost. I mean, I guess, you know, everything, anything's possible. But I, I kind of was skeptical when she said she was pregnant. Then, again, I also way my mind works. I also thought, well, if you are pregnant, it's probably not Jamie's child. It's probably uh, Euron's child. Uh, so uh, my initial instinct was that she's just making it up just to use it as a, you know, another power play. Yeah, I, I am under the assumption, assumption that she's completely making it up. Kevin, do you think that she's making it up or that she's actually pregnant? And do you think that maybe she lost the child? Uh, she, well, I think she was pregnant. There ain't no way that she still has that baby. Uh, yeah, so I think she was. I don't think she was making it up. I think she really was, but I think that she probably miscarried that baby. And now she's going back to her alcoholic ways. <laughs> yeah, that girl that girl can drink, that's for sure. <laughs> but <I> be on that. <laughs> but guys, this has been a great uh top ten. I know that Kevin has been waiting to do a Game of Thrones for quite a while. I was really hoping that Ryan could have joined us if he actually watched Game of Thrones because that would have just been like entertaining as hell to like just listen to him talk about Game yeah. of Thrones and I know that uh yeah. AJ wanted to be with us as well, but he also didn't want to spoil anything for his girlfriend. So good man, you know, doesn't want to spoil anything. That's fine. Uh, But I know that we'll probably either do a part two or something else relating to Game of Thrones, uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks. So just make sure that you guys tune in. Um, Marty, you did a great job for your first time on the top 10. Thank you so much for, you know, being with us. If you want to take a moment to let everyone know where can we find you, uh, and you know, all that's good jazz. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. You people can't find me. I'm, I'm, unless you go on to, uh, uh, Geek Vibe Nation, you can see, uh, uh, some of my, uh, posts there, uh, as far as, uh, you know, I'm still trying to drum up over, like, 60 followers on Twitter. So uh, uh, if if you want to follow me, please do. Uh, but uh, I really uh, have enjoyed this, and there has to be a part two because we just barely scratched the surface of my list. Uh, and uh, there is just – and to be honest with you, there is no wrong answer in this thing because there's all great moments in Game of Thrones. 
Yeah, I feel like we haven't even, like, scratched the surface because I had all these other scenes that, and, again, everything that we said were fantastic scenes. Um, I'm going to put this out there right now. If we had, like, say, a top 20, I would have put uh, the Hound and Brienne's fight just because that was freaking amazing. Um, Just so many great scenes that we're going to have to have a part two in order to dive deep into uh, and also just kind of like putting it out there, if you guys had any honorary moments that you wanted to shout out really quick, let me know. But, you know, Kevin, thank you as well for being with us. You know, I was like, we cannot have a Game of Thrones unless uh, Kevin is here with us. So thank you. And please let everyone know where we can find you. Well, thank you for letting us to talk about this. You know, it's been I'll enjoy, I'll be on here anytime you talk about Game of Thrones, so I'll make it work. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just on Twitter, at double O underscore Kevin. Um, I was with one of my buddies last night, and he was like, uh, we got to talking, and he was like, yeah, you know, and I saw uh, you uh, retweet bombed me on Twitter with every single poster that they released, and I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> so if there's anything Game of Thrones, I will be retweeting it. On my Twitter. <laughs> I really just don't know what Kevin's going to do once Game of Thrones is over with. Although we're nope. getting the prequel series, so that's something to yeah, look forward to. And no, it'll be a deep, dark abyss for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to keep everything on a positive note here, Kev. But, uh, you know, we'll definitely do a part two. I have an idea kind of for next week. So I think we may take a break for Game of Thrones. I'll let you guys know in the group chat what I was kind of thinking for next week. But everyone, thank you so much for, you know, listening in, loving Game of Thrones. The new season comes out April 14th. We're definitely going to be putting out more content uh, until then. For me, you can find me on gvnation.com where I'm a contributor of this amazing site. And then you can also find me on Twitter uh, at TFBaby. Just look me up on there. Again, guys, I always say thank you like a thousand times at the end of the show. That's just what it is. But this is the Top 10 by Geek Vibes Nation. I got Marty and Kevin with me. Everyone's been awesome. And I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your day.